0: The Strive 2-Week Online Boot Camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right. The strong, the powerful Wade Fow has returned to Money Savage. Welcome back, Wade.
1: Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Excited to have you back on. Wade Fow is a PhD. He is a professor of retirement income at the American College. He is an author, and he is the founder of retirementresearcher.com. Excited to have you back on. Wade, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Well, sure. So I'm, I'm now the director of the RICP program. It's Retirement Income Certified Professional at the American College of Financial Services, and also a professor of retirement income. I also have a website, retirementresearcher.com, and that really explains most of what I do in terms of research and writing about retirement income planning. Three books now. um, Since uh, the COVID lockdown, I've been working on a fourth book, (laughs) that sort of thing. But yeah, all things retirement income.
0: I appreciate that. So talk about how you're working on a fourth book because of of what we're doing. Is that just because you have more time on your hands or is it because you think that we're going to be seeing some shifts in, in in how we do things?
1: Well, it was always part of my plan to have a four book series. And so this was something I would have been working on anyway. But But yeah, certainly I think People just need to be a lot more sensitive to really being as efficient as possible with their retirement income plans, because they're not necessarily going to have as much surplus. So, like with taxes and everything else, just making sure they're approaching things in the best possible way.
0: So, it's, it's possible, and I guess it's always possible, but uh, the, the taxes could be going up after, after what's just happened or what's, what's continuing to happen.
1: Yeah, and even right now, we're we're legislated to have the tax increase in 2026 when the 2017 tax code is set to return again. But aside from that as well, certainly it's the case. A lot of people do believe we'll see higher tax rates in the future and that we're at the lowest tax rates in history right now. And so that can really speak to the idea of prepaying some taxes when you're in potentially a, a lower marginal tax bracket than you may be in the future.
0: So let's let's if you could just go into that right right there what are some ways that we could be prepaying taxes today
1: Well Roth conversions is a big part of that getting money moved from your traditional tax deferred IRAs 401k's over to Roth accounts and potentially even being able to do that at a discount with the decrease in market values That can set you up to have this source that doesn't count as taxable income and doesn't go into any sort of adjusted gross income or modified adjusted gross income measures. So protecting from making Social Security taxable later on, protecting from hikes in in Medicare premiums, um, just having that sort of shift today can help with the whole issue of required minimum distributions and everything else to just better manage taxes later in retirement.
0: Got it. That's an interesting thing, right there. Is that, theoretically speaking, the market goes down by ten percent. Um, doing a Roth conversion, it's the amount of tax that you'd be paying on the actual some of, of, of the 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 amount in the account. So yes, I guess theoretically speaking, in that scenario, you and probably not theoretically, you would be paying a lesser amount of tax.
1: Yeah, you'd get the any shares that you moved over would be like a 10% discount in terms of their impact on taxable income. The only thing to be careful about, though, is with the whole idea of sequence of returns risk, you don't necessarily want to be selling assets that have experienced a loss to pay for the taxes on that.
0: Right, right. Okay. And that's something that that, that I wanted to, to to touch on a little bit today was, uh, was the sequence of return risk. And certainly... Um, we've talked on the show before about a lot of the risks that we face in retirement, but a lot of these things are so abstract and sometimes it takes a correction in the market to say, oh yeah, the market does do something other than just go up. Um, <laughs> so if you could, could you lay out an example of, of what sequence of return risks really is?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, a. Uh... A market downturn at a time that really impacts a lifetime financial plan, which tends to be the years leading up to retirement, and then especially disproportionately so the early years of retirement. Where like if you had retired in January first of this year, and no matter what withdrawal rate you were using then, I mean just say four percent as an example, and then you see your portfolios declining in value. To meet the same spending goal, you're now using a higher withdrawal rate from from what's left, and then that just further compounds where you need a higher and higher return just to keep your portfolio from declining further and to have any chance of of recovering the portfolio. It's, It's a different issue than we already understand, like if your portfolio is down 10%, well, to be clear, it's if it increases by 10% again, you're not yet back to where you started. You'd need to increase by about 11%. But when you're actually taking distributions as well, the market gains have to be that much higher to get you back to where you started again. And, and that's what sequence of returns risk does.
0: Right. Yeah. So if you're in a position where you're actually having to be selling shares, um, liquidating to, to create income, um, you'd need to be making a – a pretty is 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 there a ratio or a rule of thumb there? If you're taking out four percent, you have to be earning how much, or is is there a way to figure well, that out?
1: I mean, you, if the um, portfolio just didn't have any sort of investment return, if you took out four percent, you'd need to make that back with the the four percent gain to offset that, or a little bit higher to offset the loss to the portfolio. Right. Got it. But yeah, then it starts to amplify and, and it works in both directions because if the portfolio gains in value, it reduces your subsequent need to take a higher withdrawal rate. You can end up using a lower withdrawal rate to meet the spending. And then you're better positioned to never run out of money. But we're, we're focused more on, well, what if the portfolio goes down in the early retirement
0: years? Yeah. How will that impact your ability to stay retired? So appreciate that. And for, for the longest time, uh, people have talked about the four percent rule, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's simply that was viewed as a safe amount of money that you could withdraw without ever um, exhausting or running out of money. Is is that a, a a correct way to describe that?
1: Basically, as long as like without ever exhausting the portfolio is specifically thirty years. So okay, <laughs> it's calibrated to a thirty year period where historically. If you earned the index market returns and invested fifty to seventy five percent stocks, that strategy would have prevented you from depleting your asset base.
0: Okay. And and how, how, how was that actually then then applied? Was it I I invested in fifty to sixty percent stocks leading up to a certain time and then how how did people actually utilize the four percent rule? Was it just move everything to cash and then use uh, fixed income of some kind, bonds.
1: No, that would be the asset allocation for retirement. It, it, the four percent rule just starts you off on the first day of retirement and tells you how much you can spend. And and Bill Bengen in his original formulation said retirees should hold seventy five percent stocks, as close as seventy five percent as possible, and in no circumstances less than fifty percent stocks. And that, that's the idea. You keep this aggressive asset allocation because you're expecting the stock market will outperform the bond market on average. And that can let you spend at a higher level than you could spend simply if you were in bonds or cash. With interest rates as low as they are right now, uh, we're nowhere near something like a 4% rule as being sustainable from a, a bond portfolio.
0: So that's no longer applicable
1: uh, right. I mean, in some sense, the 4% rule, it, it's based on U.S. market data. Uh, we're now experiencing a situation with lower interest rates than ever, and even stock market valuations, not, not as high as ever anymore, but still above average. And so it's a situation we've never really experienced in the historical data. And then when you consider that real investors have to pay taxes and they may pay fees on their investments and so forth, it was never necessarily a very realistic set of assumptions to define a retirement as anyway.
0: Oh, fair enough. And what about this idea of being able to to retire off dividends?
1: Yeah, that's something that exists out there as well, more on the kind of consumer side. Like if you're reading some article about retirement income on a website that allows for comments, you see a lot of people saying, oh, well, this 4% rule is meaningless because I've got this portfolio earning a 5 or 6% dividend yield. Um, now, we don't have a lot of historical research on those strategies just because it's hard to collect the data on that. But generally speaking, the... Uh, where to draw I mean dividends can be cut and you can still have capital losses and so you're not necessarily that, that strategy is not necessarily as safe as its proponents tend to believe when they just think about well dividends never get cut and so I can fund my retirement like this it's it's a strategy but it's not a well researched and it's not generally it's not real popular with like financial professionals or people who Um, try to formulate strategies based on historical data.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, fair enough. So if you were to, and and you are, you are now the director of the RICP program at the American college and you are, you're uh, teaching financial advisors to go out and teach people how to design retirement income. Um, So how, how do you coach up people today? Say, uh, say you're 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 speaking to a room of thirty year olds, and you say, "Okay, you want to retire at age sixty five. You have thirty five years to be to be saving and investing. Is there a particular rule of thumb that you say? Here's here's how much you should be putting away."
1: Well, yeah, I've done some research on called safe savings rates as a way to kind of balance the idea of the four percent rule as a safe withdrawal rate about what kind of spending rate would you need or, or saving rate would you need to be able to fund a reasonable replacement rate in retirement. And for people who have about a, a 30-year runway still before retiring, who are thinking about a, a balanced portfolio like 60-40, 50-50, somewhere in that range, uh, and then are planning to have Social Security on top of that and so forth, I, about 15 or 16 17% right in that area can be a reasonable savings rate to consider and that would include any employer match one receives uh, as part of their retirement plans at work
0: got it okay and do you know I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you do what 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 the savings rate for the average for for the majority of Americans the average American the median American is
1: uh, it's definitely a lot lower than that to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be clear yeah um, I think it, it is coming up right now with the, the COVID response, but yeah, it's hovering in the low single digits in recent times for the most part.
0: Right. And we're talking about that 15 that fifteen, sixteen, seventeen 16%, 17%. Is that, is that taking into consideration the cost of healthcare as well going up?
1: Not necessarily, no. No. Especially for people that far away from retirement. Usually, when we start talking about healthcare, we'll um, put like a six or seven percent inflation rate on it, compared to maybe two percent, three percent for the overall consumer price index. So, in that regard, I don't know if that kind of extreme healthcare price inflation can continue for right. forty or fifty years for like what younger people are thinking about. But um, no, that sort of estimate would not be assuming a much higher inflation rate on healthcare relative to today. Yeah.
0: All right. So we're sitting down with somebody, and 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 we're like, okay, you need to be saving twenty you know, percent in order to to factor in just the amount of money you'll need healthcare. And people think, oh my gosh, how in the world am I ever going to manage this? What? How? How? How do emotions play into how how? you're training people to have these conversations with, with, with clients. Mm
1: -hmm. So, well, I mean, to be clear, the retirement income certified professionals about what you do at retirement. So it, it doesn't specifically cover pre-retirement. We do have other coursework on that area, but yeah, in terms of the psychology of, of encouraging people to save, you definitely, don't want to make things unrealistic and it might involve baby steps like do this and then do this don't just look at the very end and it might look inconceivable how you could ever get there but take baby steps and also focus on positive actions rather than negative like um i mean imagery in terms of don't scare one into say don't try to scare somebody into saving more because that generally won't work just focus on well, if you do save, you'll have this better lifestyle in retirement. And and so it's something people can can focus on. Uh, as well, there's been interesting research about like, if you show people age progression software so that people can see an image of what they might look like in the future, that that can really change the response in the brain where people tend to think of their future selves as a stranger. And after seeing a picture of themselves that way, they, they now view that, their future self as part of their family and someone they want to take care of and and that can encourage people to to save more as well be good to your future self wade that's right (laughs) that's the idea so
0: is there any research that you've been doing as of late that's that's kind of surprised you or that you found to be most interesting
1: um, yeah, we, we started talking about the tax side, and that specifically, it was an area I hadn't written that much about, but I've been working to write the tax planning chapter in my book. And I always kind of thought this idea that unless you have a very low amount of wealth or spending need, it'd be hard to avoid paying 85% of your Social Security benefits, having that be taxable income, because the, the thresholds that can lead to Having to pay taxes on your social security benefits are kind of on the low side, but in just looking at this more careful, more carefully realizing that actually it is possible with some tax planning to at least get yourself so you're paying taxes on much less than 85% of your social security benefits. Maybe getting it all the way down to zero could be tough, but but it's I was surprised at how planning really can help and then in that regard as well help to extend the longevity of a retirement plan it's not impossible to have your assets last another five six or seven years through a combination of tax planning and also social security claiming strategies
0: got it and when when are we expecting
1: the new book that's a good question um (laughs) the original idea would be this fall but i'm starting to think that may not be realistic but at least by early next year <laughs>
0: okay, perfect excellent well wade savage nation is you ready for your difference making tip what do you have for them
1: uh that when thinking about retirement income it, it's really just important to move beyond just questions like how much can you spend from your investments and so forth but to really think about all the household assets and how they can be best positioned working together, and that's like the idea of tax planning and social security planning is a big part of that. How do you fit everything together to get the most efficiency out of the assets that you have for retirement?
0: Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets. Come on, come on, Wade. Thank you so much for coming back on Working Savage Nation. Learn more about you.
1: Uh, Well, everyone's welcome to visit my website. It's retirementresearcher.com, and we do have a page set up, the slash join, to just start with our weekly email series. Every Saturday morning, we send out an email, as well as we are offering a PDF of my retirement dashboard that shows updated sustainable spending numbers based on where the bond yield curve was April 1st of this year. It's also pretty close to where it still was May 1st of this year.
0: Nice. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Wade wage your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to retirementresearcher.com. Go to retirementresearcher.com backslash join to get the weekly message that comes on Saturdays. Thank you again, Wayne. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.